Hi, Fashion Hotline. Hi, this Easter, I'm on the hunt. For eggs? For new styles my family can wear to brunch. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, right now, get a huge 50% off your entire purchase in store. Everything you need, like dresses, polos, and shorts, is 50% off. 50% off? You must be hiding something. Dresses start at just $12 for women, $10 for girls. But Easter's just three days away. Then hop to it. It's in stores only. Don't tell the Easter Bunny. Hurry in for 50% off your entire purchase in stores only. Now at Old Navy. Valid 14 to 420 in stores only. Excludes in-store clearance, gift cards, register lane items, jewelry, today only, and two-day only deals. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the final episode of the weekly October edition of Monsters at Midnight. You are listening, of course, on the Zima Podcasting Network. It is Saturday, October the 28th, a grand total of, um, wow, like four days before Halloween? Four days. Four days before Halloween, uh, which falls on a Tuesday. A little lame, but yeah, welcome back to Monsters at Midnight, your one-stop shop for horror films. Uh, true crime and the real life unexplained i'm your favorite escaped madman loose on the airwaves terrorizing your eardrums matt schaefer and joined with me as always we have the professor himself fresh from the laboratories of zima podcasting graham zima how are you tonight i'm good just an fyi matt is a little bit under the weather but we're gonna make it work yeah uh so it's going to be a fun episode. This was, <laughs> if I had to count, there have been so many podcasts we have done when uh, I or someone else have been sick. I feel like it's just it has it, it's, it's just our like, lifestyle. People, yeah, people around here don't take care of themselves too well. It's yeah. okay though. Well, I'm overdue for being sick. I haven't been sick since March, so it only makes sense that my body is finally giving out on me now. Um, and being that it's Halloween weekend, I have not been sleeping regularly. Uh, potions have been ingested. <laughs> Turn, to put it, turning, to put, make it the PG version. Yeah, to become Mr. Hyde for the weekend. But uh, we're going to do our best to close out the month of October with some fun shit. Because uh, you, know, you want to have a little bit of a fun time. Being that Halloween is right around the corner, and I'm going to start the episode off just by uh, saying, like we did the last episode, uh, whatever you're doing this weekend or whatever you're doing Tuesday night, just be careful, be safe, be mindful. Uh, hopefully, you don't have little kids listening to us, but uh, if you do have little kids that you are taking care of, uh, have fun trick or treating. Uh, follow the rules so <laughs> you don't like go to houses that don't want to be disturbed or you're out past the time just and they'll make it clear they don't want to be disturbed yeah yeah they'll usually a clear sign clear sign of fuck you posted on the door <laughs> no halloween spirit so yeah let's finish off let's bring october to a close uh, bolt your doors, lock the windows, turn out the lights. Let's get ready for monsters at motherfucking midnight. We start off the show with a little bit of news. As Cram pointed out to me before we start recording, two people uh, that we're, we're going to be discussing right off the back that we always come back to. Uh, John Carpenter has uh, officially stated that he will be doing the music for the Halloween reboot. Uh, this is something that has been, he teased everyone when the reboot was first announced saying that maybe he would do the, oh wow, Popeye's just talking back to me. Um, once again, another regular occurrence here. <laughs> um, he's, he teased everyone by saying that maybe he would do the music. John Carpenter is serving executive producer on a... Halloween re reboot co-written by David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. 
Now he has made it official, stating that he will be doing the music for the movie. John Carpenter has provided the scores for, I would say, about 90% of his films, Halloween included, the original Halloween. Actually, the first three Halloweens, and he only directed the first one. Uh, so, Graham, what do you have to say about this news? I'm on board 100%. And I'm saying this, I wasn't necessarily against the soundtracks utilized uh, in the most recent Rob Zombie remakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of that really bizarre Love Hurts cover that was at the end of the second one. Right, I wasn't yeah. a big fan of that. But I actually thought that the intent was there. Uh, you know, the use of Don't Fear the Reaper, mm-hmm. obviously, stuff like that, really paying homage in a lot of ways and, and trying to create that atmosphere the best way that he could. Mm-hmm. Um, but none stack up to the original score in the 1978 film. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think that Carpenter has this distinct and exceptional way of how to form a haunting atmosphere. And I'm excited not only for fans of the original that grew up with the series in some way, but also the new generation of film goers that are going to be introduced to this franchise through this movie. They're going to be able to have this really, really solid introduction to what John Carpenter can offer um, on a music level. And I think they'll offer them... The opportunity to go back and listen to the old score of the original. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on board 100% all the way around. How about you? No, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, for those of you that you are regular listeners, whether it be on this podcast or the podcast, I've mentioned that John Carpenter is probably my favorite director. He's also one of my favorite composers. Uh, I'm not saying he like can compose anything as elegant or moving as like your John Williams or, I mean, literally anyone that actually has a musical background. <laughs> John Carpenter is an interesting uh, composer because he started off doing scores for his movies because he needed to save money. He did the soundtracks for Dark Star, Assault on Precinct 13, and Halloween, all because he needed to save money. I think he did the score to Assault on Precinct 13 in, like, three days. He did the score for Halloween in, like, a week. I think I just read that he banged out that original iconic theme in, like, an hour. Um, And then that just sort of stick. That became, like, he be, that just another part of the creative po- process that he was a part of. Uh, start to finish writing, directing, and then editing and composing and i have always that's one thing i really admire about that uh him and that's something that in my own endeavors it's something that i'd like to try at some point um i think uh john carpenter has matured as a musician as well with uh his solo albums that he's released that he's co-composed with his sons cody carpenter and the other one whose name i'm unfortunately forgetting uh who he tours with I think there is a great opportunity for a more vast array of sounds as and like as I love the Halloween score for its simplicity. It only really has like four motifs though mm-hmm. that are used throughout the entire movie and you can like identify each one and that's great. I think that works with the original, but it's going to be 2018 when this movie comes out and like the franchise has matured. Everyone behind it has matured. I'd like to hear some richer music, and I think John Carpenter can provide that. I'm entirely excited. Um, so, well, I'm going to see him again this November live, so that uh, he just goes to prove how ex- uh, supportive I am of him as a musician. Uh, no sponsorship here, but check out his new album that he just released, Anthology. It's a remakes of a lot of his classic music pieces. Uh, it just goes to test, uh, goes to show how like uh, doing things out of necessity can stick and how they can have staying power. And I think it's another reason to be excited for this reboot because it obviously means that something is going we've been saying it before something is going right he wants to produce it he wants or jamie lee wants to be in it and now he officially wants to do the music for it so i'm of course incredibly excited so john carpenter is coming at you with his first official uh score 
probably since like 2001 other like the, his first official movie soundtrack probably since like 2001 that'll be next year next like october 20th i want to say or october 18th um talking about another director that we're always excited to talk about mr robert cummings <laughs> rob zombie uh it was just announced that rob zombie has expressed trying to pull up the article why can't I pull up there? There we go. Excuse me. Uh, has expressed interest in doing a film that goes back to the same universe as The Devil's Rejects. His first two movies, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, are actually part of the same series. They're not direct sequels. Well, they kind of are. But you don't really need to see one without enjoying... Or, or you don't really need to see one to enjoy the other. Uh, the carryover characters are uh, Baby, Captain Spaulding, and Otis, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, Sid Haig, and Bill Mosley, respectively. Um, don't want to spoil anything for those of you that are still itching to see The Devil's Rejects, but The Devil's Rejects ends in a way that makes it difficult for those characters to return in a way that would make they died yeah they die so it would make it would make sense that maybe this is just the same universe or a prequel graham how would you if you were in senior zombies shoes how would you go about writing a new tale in that universe i wouldn't do it to be <laughs> perfectly real i it kind of puts me in a a corner to have to write something. That well, I tell have. okay then. Uh, don't I, like give like just give your opinion on this. I one just way don't or the other. think it's necessary at all. I think he wrapped it up fine in mm -hmm. Devil's Rejects. I actually think Devil's Rejects is probably his best film um, mm -hmm. in terms of on a technical aspect and a story aspect. Um, if you just look across his entire filmography, um, I think that that one is the one I always go back to and say is probably his standout film. Um. Then again, I I don't know what that really says <laughs> to be to be real. It's I, one that will is like I would say is objectively like a good movie. Like as absurd as some of the dialogue is, there is it sums up what his intent is as a yeah. filmmaker in the best way. And for him to go back to it, I'd be curious to know what his direction would be with it. Mm -hmm. Whether he does some prequel esque. I mean that that to me as a as a person with a very limited knowledge of screenwriting, that to me would be the only approach that he has at this point. Mm -hmm. If he wants it to be taken seriously, um, that or he's planning on doing some weird reboot, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Knowing him, um, well, actually, it actually makes does make sense knowing mm -hmm. him. He does like to do remakes with the, uh, the Halloween franchise, but I, I just I just don't I just don't see where he can take that franchise and 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 but without going down the prequel direction um and i think he's done a fine job continuing to make films since that part of his life mm -hmm. um you know i'm not the biggest fan of lords of salem um but it's something new he tried something different i think mm -hmm. that he's he's definitely had a career since then so for him <clears throat> to go backwards doesn't make a whole lot of sense but um I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what what unfolds. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to see uh, the early plot synopsis right. uh, leading up to if he decides to go forward with it. How about you? Um, I'm not entirely opposed to the idea because, well, here's the thing. The, the thing that struck me as odd was, like, he wants to revisit the Devil's Rejects universe. I was always under the impression that all of his movies kind of took place in the same universe. Yeah, to um, agree. But, I mean, that's just me because, like, human beings that he writes do not exist in worlds that aren't like his own uh good bad that's up to you whether you like it or not um i'm not gonna say either way but he definitely has a style he has a universe i wouldn't mind seeing because like i you could either do a prequel or what I would do, because I always forget that House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects take place in, like, 1979. It's, like, the present day, and there's, like, a resurgence of the Firefly clan. That's definitely possible, Or there's, yeah, yeah like, copycat killers or something. Like, 
I don't know what what it would be. I don't even know if like the. I mean, Sherry Moon will probably still be in it, but I don't know like if they'd be playing the same people per se, or their descendants, or they're fucking reanimated by a bolt of lightning. I don't know how one to one this will be. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There's definitely. Uh... A room for opportunity. There is room for opportunity. Um, that being said, like I, I'm indifferent to the idea of him doing like another like sequel or continuation prequel, whatever. I was honestly more excited to see what he would do with that Groucho Marx movie because that's like I would. He wasn't writing that one. That would be like the only the first opportunity to see what he can do purely as a director. Um, I f- but I feel like th- we'll probably get the Groucho Marx movie before the Devil's Rejects movie because the Devil's Rejects movie is just like a rumbling right now, and I think the Groucho Marx movie like they have a script and he's obviously directing it. So has that been in development for a long period of time? I don't honestly know. It has a Wikipedia page, which I know like doesn't technically mean anything. Um, I'm going to bring it up quick. It's called Raised Eyebrows. Um, I think uh, it's loosely based off the uh, uh, biographical novel uh, that is uh, about Groucho Marx that's also called Raised Eyebrows. Um, This article... Well, this... uh, article about the movie is from last year last march so i have no idea how long this movie has been in development and how upcoming it actually is so maybe we will get a a uh fucking devil's rejects sequel before that uh, it's hard to say though. The movies take a shit long time to make, especially when you're like a filmmaker like Rob Zombie who has to get sort of stuff crowdfunded. Because I think the only actual studio things he did were House of Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. That's not true. The Halloween movies were uh, studio projects. I think it was after <laughs> after those both sucked so miserably that they're like, yeah, maybe not anymore. Which actually, again, isn't even true either, because those did box office wise, they did really well, didn't they? The first one did. I'm not sure about the. I don't second know one. about the second one either. The second one's an anomaly. <laughs> but I know Lords of Salem was crowdfunded. I know 31 was crowdfunded. That means if he goes forward with Devil's Rejects, or probably even raised eye, well, raised eyebrows, maybe not. But if he goes forward with Devil's Rejects three, it's probably going to be crowdfunded it probably might not be until like 2020 or 2021 when like this is even something that we need to think about um in answer to the original question though if he wants to do it go for it i'm all for like if you have an idea just do it i don't care it's fine like (laughs) (laughs) do whatever he's recording and more music right now too so he's got that on his plate too he's always touring so, He's a busy guy, yeah. that's for sure. Um, so yeah, that was uh, Rob Zombie uh, coming out, uh, supposedly coming out with a new Devil's Rejects-esque film, or at least one that takes place in the same universe. Uh, let us know, Facebook us, uh, Twitter us, uh, AOL, AIM, Messenger us, uh, Hotmail. Your, <laughs> Hotmail us, your thoughts and queries and concerns about this new film. Or don't. I mean, it's your life. You can live it however you so choose. Um, So that was really all the news that I had. Uh, Let's move on to the fun bits of the show. Because it's almost Halloween. And let's have some fun. Graham is... I don't know how hyped he is now that more people are telling him about Jigsaw. But he still is really looking forward to Jigsaw. And I'm holding out. (laughs) <laughs> which I have to preface this with, I'm holding out to make my viewing of Jigsaw a special occasion on Halloween night. That's the way it's going down. I know for hardcore Saw fans, that is an abomination of thought, but I am sticking to it, and I'm going to remain 
persistent, and I'm going to see it on mm-hmm. Halloween night. But there anyway, you continue, Matt. No, uh, so yeah, because Jigsaw is out. It came out like yesterday, did it not? Yeah. Or like two days ago. Um, it's sitting at like a cool 40-something on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. which all things considered is not awful. Better than the Saw think, 3D. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think the first one only has like a like – 40 something too I yeah. could, could be wrong and the first one is legitimately an alright movie <clears throat> so Graham and I are going to have a little fun here um, we're going to do some guilty pleasure rankings here since we just got talk, done talking about Rob Zombie I'm going to be ranking worst to best uh, the uh, disco- the solo discography of Rob Zombie Graham will be ranking worst to best the Saw films. And we'll each give our little blurbs as to why we like them, why we don't, why they sit where they're at. Uh, it should be should be interesting. Because I honestly, I know nothing about the Saw films beyond the first one. And then like they get progressively weirder. So I'm interested to see what Graham has to say about them. I'm sure Graham rem- doesn't remotely care what I think about Rob Zombie's albums, but <laughs> uh, we're going to do it anyway because I'm the host. So Graham, from worst to best, and backing up, showing your work, rank the Saw movies All for right. me. Well, I'll also say, as another preface, um, my thoughts are probably on par with most hardcore Saw fans. Um, with the exception of maybe my top ranking, but we'll get to that in a second. So, without question, the worst movie in the franchise is Saw 3D. It is not only one of the, or it is the worst of the Saw franchise. It is one of the worst movies that I've ever had to sit through. <laughs> um, Saw 7 falls flat on so many levels that I really only have time to briefly scratch the surface with its missteps. Number one, the cinemat- cinematography, who is do- which is done by Brian Jedge. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he was a camera operator in the previous installments, like Saw 2 and 3 and possibly 4, 5, and 6. Um, he only has two cinematographer credits to his name. It's like a TV show he did back in like the 90s and – I'm assuming the 90s um, – and this film. And it really shows. Uh, he manages to make this film look worse than most <laughs> soap operas Ooh. on not only a <clears throat> framing – not only in the way that he frames shots, the the composition of the movie, but also the lighting is abysmal. It, it's it, when you watch the movie, you get this. You, you'll get what I mean within seconds of of of, of your viewing, um, which is a damn shame for because most of the the series to that point, I had actually applauded the look of these films, mostly with their intent to create a gritty atmosphere. You know, Saw one, two, and three, four, five, and six. I mean, all six of them. Um, you know, they're not. We're not talking Roger Deakins level, but you know it, it looks competent. It looks like a like looks cinema esque, like yes, yeah. to an extent. I think the newest one looks the most like a movie it has. I think that one looks like it's going to have the most standout cinematography. Um, but the first six, they create this claustrophobic environment, which I really appreciate, especially you know obviously in the first one with the limited budget that they had. Um, but the but three D has just. Awful lighting. Um, the 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 composition of each frame is just it's it, it's just lackluster, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Um, the acting on even a saw level is abysmal in this movie. <laughs> um, we have discount Ryan Gosling playing the lead uh, detective Gibbs, who is just introduced into this. <laughs> Who's film. discount Ryan Gosling? His name's, I think Chad Donnella, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> It, it, it there are there is a scene that I know that hardcore Saw fans will remember um, between Jill Tuck and him in the quote unquote safe house. Um, it is to me one of the worst acted oh, scenes he, in film history. He is kind of discount. He's <laughs> discount Ryan Gosling if I've ever seen. Oh, one. he was in Final Destination. I'm sorry. Um, Continue. So yeah, on a le- acting level, even for a Saw film, this this seems to go even a step lower. The plot line hits a crescendo of being convoluted and really messed up. The final twist, which if you haven't seen Saw 3D, I'm just going to spoil. Everybody knows at this point. Dr. Gordon comes back. He survived the first film. And for the longest time, we all kind of predicted this, and we all liked to make it up on all these different message boards like IMDb and all the Jigsaw spoiler sites like, or excuse me, the Saw spoiler sites, that 
oh, wouldn't it be hilarious if Gordon came back and, you know, look at the way that the guy limps in the t- in the first tape of Saw 2. That would be hilarious, and Carrie always can come back, and it'd be great. And nobody ever took it 100% seriously because it, we would we assume that it would just be too ridiculous to ever happen, right? Nope. He comes back. He is the – and he's not the main apprentice. I think that's one thing that uh, we need to make very, very clear is that he's not the, the be-all, end-all apprentice of the Saw series. What he really is is his only connection with Saw is helping him out with certain traps, you know, certain medical procedures involved in in some of the traps, but also to watch over uh, John Kramer's wife, Jill, uh, after he passes. So I know that that's the assumption that, you know, Dr. Gordon at the end takes up the mantle. He really doesn't, and the film doesn't imply that. It really implies that he's watching over some of the... um, the aspects of John's life after he passes away in Saw 3. But yes, the, all the plot lines are really convoluted. The The main game with Bobby, as many people pointed out, is utterly pointless. They didn't need it in there whatsoever. They could have just followed the story of Detective Hoffman and Jill and integrated that with some type of game in some fashion, um, and it would have been a lot less convoluted. But instead, we had this shoehorned-in game um, that doesn't really add anything to the overall story. So Saw 3D is by far the, by far the worst. And I could go on for hours about why that movie sucks. <clears throat> the next, moving up, um, going worst to best, obviously. Um, Saw 4 and 5, and I kind of lump them together. If I had to give a ranking um, as to which one I like better, on a pure entertainment level, I would say Saw 5, because I think that the trap in the, in the main game with... Um, all of the victims is a lot more interesting than Saw 4, which just focuses on Detective Rig from, um, or Officer Rig, excuse me, from Saw 2 and 3. This is where the series started to take this turn of way too many plot lines, way too many apprentices, and not a central focus. Um, and I'm not saying that the writing in Saw 1 through 3 is by any means extraordinary, but it's it's it knows the direction that it's going. Where Saw four and five is where it starts to hit off the rails. Um, but yeah, I, I just I didn't. These are the ones that I don't remember the most as well. Uh, they're not as terrible as Saw three D, but they they just don't stand out in my mind when I look on the series. Uh, look back on the series as a whole. Um, moving up the list then is Saw six. And it falls under some of the problems that Saw 4 and 5 have, but I think that it's, for whatever reason, it captures a lot of the fun of the first three installments and a lot of what made the first three installments um, exciting in a way. And I don't know even know how exactly it does, and I've, been, I've pondered over this since its release in 2009, but for whatever reason, I think the, re- I think the main cause of why I put it above four and five is once going back to the entertainment level i'm more interested in the story in this film uh the main game um i think the traps are probably one of the best that we've seen um most specifically with the carousel trap um involving all the insurance agents i think this movie is just an overall good time and uh had it all right set up for the the seventh one which obviously fell flat i'm sorry i'm Trying to contain all of this into a you know a time in a timely manner. Um, Saw three is number three. Uh, the my only main beef with this movie is that I have a kind of a problem with Jigsaw's game in this one, and not so much the traps. I think the traps are actually very very disturbing, especially the rack trap, which everybody knows. Uh, but with more of who he selected, I think that Jeff's story, it feels a little out of character for John to pick on him um, because Jeff lost his child like a year ago. And basically his his point to Jeff is you need to move on from your kid dying who was hit in a, you know, a drunk driving accident. It was, it was really depressing. And for for Jigsaw to select Jeff in this situation, it just it didn't seem in character and it felt a little out of place but that being said i think it's still a fun time and it still falls under the self-contained part of the first three saw films um which i think that's why they're my favorites at the end of the day um and then number two is actually the first saw the only reason i put saw two is my favorite above saw is i think saw the original suffers from what matt can definitely agree because you've seen the first one Mm -hmm. twice 
it just doesn't have and I'm not saying Saw 2 has fantastic acting either but I think that Saw is it's got some acting issues mm-hmm. um, glaring acting glaring issues glaring acting issues which is weird because I mean Carrie Elways and Danny Glover they're like they're, they've never been like A-list but they're definitely like respected Hollywood level actors. You you would think that they're they would try a little harder. Yeah, just, and I don't know if that came down to direction or they didn't have faith in the project or I think what. I think it's a combination of both. I think that James Wan was um, you know, a developing director at that time who was still learning, you know, as a filmmaker and coming into his own. And also I think part of it could have been you said the project. I think that uh, Carrie, uh, Danny, and um, really everybody involved in this film probably didn't give it the credit that it kind of deserved, I guess, because yeah. it ended up becoming a phenomenon uh, when it well, came no one, out. Yeah, no one expected it to become such a phenomenon, I don't so, think. Um, I think for that reason, though, I think also Saw too. I'm just more invested in the story of Detective Matthews, played by Donnie Wahlberg. Um, I, I like the twist at the end not more than the first one, but I think that one, the way they played with um, the timelines was really interesting. Um, this one is always neck and neck for me, Saw 1 and 2. So, forgive me, I can't give like a, a really big justification as to why I think Saw 2 I enjoy more. Um, we I, should point out at this time that all both of our lists are going to be personal things. Oh, yeah. This is, and, and this is not me saying that, you know, objectively Saw 2 is better. No, I, this is my personal preference. If I was to sit down... Um, and I was forced to watch one Saw movie. Um, I would I would probably say Saw too because I think so. The timeline is is the most engaging to me. The way they utilize um, Matthews tra- searching for his son and how time is actually unfolding um, without giving too many spoilers away. Um, I think that was a, that was always a, a well thought out element of the movie. Um, I like the dynamic that's created between uh, Detective Matthews and Jigsaw. I like all their interactions. I think those really worked for me. Um, I think the movie's just, I think it's the the most well-made Saw film of the series, um, in my humble opinion. So, once again, number one, Saw 2. Number two, the first Saw. Three, Saw 3. Four, Saw 6. Five, Saw 5. Six, Saw 4. And then seven, Saw 7. Saw 3D, excuse me. The final chapter. The final chapter until good um, old 2017. So you should literally... The horror movies should never call their movie the final chapter, even if they they're Fast writing and it. Furious shouldn't call their well, film yeah. Them. All roads lead to this until the next two installments, right? Well, it, it happened with Final Destination, Saw, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, final Destination hasn't made another one, have they? Well, the last wait, one came out in two thousand eleven. Well, because it was it was Final Destination to Final Destination two, Final Destination three. The Final Destination. Oh, yeah, okay. And then Final sense. Destination 5. Okay, I get you. Um, I mean, I always interpreted that the as, like, this is the final destination. This is it. The Final Destination. And then Final Destination 5. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so very well put. Uh, at some point in my life, especially just being such good fr- friends with you, I will see all these movies at some point. Um, I am curious at least about two and three because I hear, I, I I like hear they view, form an okay trilogy. I was going to say, I think realistically um, you could watch the first three, and that's why right now I only own the first three. You can watch as their own self-contained trilogy. Um, there would probably be some open-ended questions at the end of watching Saw 3, which is totally all right. There's definitely series that don't always tie up mm-hmm. uh, loose ends, but... Um, I think that's definitely an approach you could take. But, uh, yeah, for you especially, I think you're such a big fan of horror. Obviously, mm-hmm. we, we're doing this right now. But, well, yeah. Um, I think that you would get some sort of enjoyment out of it. Uh, since 2004, Saw has been a staple of Halloween for a lot of people. It's Each one mo- has... One of, one of, if not the most successful yeah. horror franchises of all time. And they've had a release in October since the first movie. And I think that's why I chose... Well, other than Jigsaw coming out, but I chose Rob Zombie's albums and Saw for you. These are both things. Well, Rob Zombie speaks of Halloween to me. I assume Saw does the same for you, and Rob Zombie does in a weird way too. Yeah. You know, with his, I, I think it's mostly we didn't really. T- well, I think we've touched on this probably in previous episodes, but not on this one. We were talking about the Devil's Rejects. I think that uh, I appreciate Rob Zombie on his 
this is going to sound weird, his appreciation of horror films. I agree completely. I love what he's into. And that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that I have to appreciate his own work, but I definitely, it's the same thing with like Eli Roth. I'm not the biggest fan of Eli Roth's films, but I like the direction that he's trying to go, and I I like the movies that he grew up watching. Yeah. Um, They both sound like people that you could, like we could realistically talk to. 100%. Yeah. So that was Graham's ranking of the Saw films. Uh, I was originally, uh, just to keep it like in a theme, I was going to rank Rob Zombie's movies, but we've talked so much about his movies. I'm sure we did that at some point. Um, we probably did. And it's descending. It's Halloween 2, The Lords of Salem, Halloween 31, Devil's Rejects, House of Thousand Corpses, my opinion. Um, but I was going to talk about his movies because this time of year I love – making Halloween playlists, listening to pre-made Halloween playlists, music in general that puts me in that mood, and Rob Zombie's weird blend of horror-themed industrial rock and heavy metal has been doing it for me for the past couple of years now. So I'm going to rank his solo albums. uh, Nothing white zombie-related, the band he originally started off in, because I've only heard a couple of their albums. I'm honestly not into the white zombie sound i i think he it sound i like the sound better as his sound better as a solo artist and that happens sometimes you just you change bands you change groups you change directions uh and i've just happened to heard like all of his solo albums and not all of white zombies so we're going to start at the bottom number 6 is 2010s Hellbilly Deluxe 2. Uh, Hellbilly Deluxe 2 is a name-only sequel to his first album release, Hellbilly Deluxe, which I don't know why it's called Hellbilly Deluxe 2 because there's really no contextual ties to that album. He experiments with a sound he was toying with in 06 with his album Educated Horses, where it was a more of an industrial sound, for lack of a better word, less of the speedy thrash metal in, in, uh, inspired pop sort of rock that he was known for doing with his late 90s, early 2000s career. So I appreciate the album's sound that it has this sort of grimy, dusty, disgusting like sound for lack of a better word that being said most of the tracks on this album are pretty disposable they all bleed together there are no punchy melodies nothing with a few exceptions nothing that really distinguishes each track from the next the whole album is sort of a yawn and it's a it blends together with me like i remember I don't remember one single song. I there are a couple songs I do remember. Uh, I'll shout out each like a hand three songs from each album that are worth listening to. Uh, there the so- songs on the deluxe version of uh, Hellbilly Deluxe Two that I think are worth listening to are Devil's Whole Girls and the Big Revolution. His song. Uh, Michael, which is actually a sort of ballad about Michael Myers, and The Man Who Laughs, which is a very elegant rock anthem. Like It's like nine minutes long, has like strings uh, inspired by the title of the movie, The Man Who Laughs. But other than those three songs, the rest of the album really... I can't like define one song as it own as its own. I can pick and, and miss and match like lyrics and tones. The album in general just is a mess. There's a standard version and a deluxe version that has a couple different tracks and a couple different takes. Between the two, they're just it's not really a whole project or something that seems completely realized. Um so then number five would be his 2006 release, Educated Horses, which I just mentioned. Uh, Educated Horses was sort of the precursor to Hellbilly Deluxe 2 in a way that 
it was that weird sort of industrial lo-fi sound that he was going for only this one feels a little more poppy there are more songs that i can pick out as their own entity it has more charisma uh, that being said it's still just not a very interesting listen it's it feels unfocused the few songs that are worth listening to are foxy foxy which is sort of a fun romp that i could imagine he wrote to have sherry moon pole dance to because it just it has that vibe uh this and the song the devil's rejects which is of course about the devil's rejects and the lords of salem which little did we all know would become one of his movies, which is about witchcraft. Uh, but other than that, Educated Horses is kind of boring too, but it has more charisma, more identity in the individual tracks than Hellbilly Deluxe 2. Number four is his most recent release, 2016's... And I'm going to try and get the full album title here. The Electric Warlock Acid Witch Satanic Orgy Celebration Dispenser. <laughs> that is a mouthful. That is a mouthful. And the track the track names are ridiculous, too. This album came out last year, and it's more of a return to form to what uh, Rob Zombie was about. The pop sort of metal, the catchy anthems the grotesque absurd lyrics it's like the world's weirdest late night movie and each and it's a very easy listen the longest track is five and a half minutes each track is like under three minutes it's like a half an hour long it's a real easy listen it's a lot of fun it's got a lot of vigor to it um people often uh criticize this album for feeling tired or feeling like He's not legitimizing himself for, like, existing in 2016. That's valid. But if you're a Rob Zombie fan, you're listening to him to get, just do weird horror-themed music. My my, uh, recommended tracks are, well, everybody's fucking in a UFO. It is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Uh, uh, In the age of the consecrated vampire, we all get high. And, of course, the life and times of a teenage rock god. But as a whole, uh, Electric Warlock Acid, which I feel like is a pretty solid release. Uh, Return to form. Uh, Again, uh, the, the one critique is, yes, it is 2016, and he is still doing the same shtick, but it gets a pass from me. Number three will be his first uh, solo release, Hellbilly Deluxe. Now, this is where it gets uh, complicated because Hellbilly Deluxe is probably objectively, well, maybe it's not his best album, but objectively, this is the iconic Rob Zombie album. It's got Super Beast, Dragula, Living Dead Girl on it, as well as Demonoid Phenomenon, Spook Show Baby, Meet the Creeper. These are all, this is like his greatest hits, and it's his first album. Uh, it's, it's, got, it's got that traditional Rob Zombie sound, and I think it's a, a great uh, listen for uh, metal fans, for industrial rock fans. It encompasses a lot of genres. He definitely wears his influences on his sleeve. Um, and I'm just going to move on to the number two ranking, which is... 2001's The Sinister Urge. The Sinister Urge just took everything that was really great about Hellbilly Deluxe and pushed it even further. There's better production value. There's more fleshed out melodies. The lyrics are more in-depth. One of the tracks has a feature from Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, It's just, it feels like Hellbilly Deluxe was the proof of concept. The Sinister Urge is what really solidified what Rob Zombie is as a solo artist. My recommended tracks are Never Gonna Stop, The Red Red Kruvy, uh Feel So Numb, and Scum of the Earth. Uh, shout out also to the House of the Thousand Corpses theme. Um, it, this is a Halloween album. I think of Halloween listening to this album with the weird samples from old horror movies, the grimy uh, guitar riffs, the weird synthesizers and strings. Definitely worth listening to. 
my personal favorite Rob Zombie album is his 2013 release, Venomous Rat Regeneration Vendor. Uh, again, for me personally, this felt like a natural progression after the yawn fest that Educated Horses and Hellbilly Deluxe 2 were. Ven- Venomous Rat Regeneration Vendor was a return to form. It's got it's got the catchy anthems, the the great melodies. Now that he's playing with his current touring band with John Five, Gingerfish, and Piggy D, they really work together as a group very well, and it this album is a testament to it it has a great full sound it is consistent each song has its own identity the tracks i recommend most are dead city radio and the new gods of supertown gang gang gong to do gong to lagaraga and uh, what else rock and roll and black hole my personal favorite album if you're I think this is also one of, other than Sinister Urge, between Venomous Regeneration Vendor, the Sinister Urge, and Hellbilly Hellbilly Deluxe, I feel like those are his three most accessible albums. If you are out there and want to get into Rob Zombie, those are the albums that I recommend you checking out first because you will get the fullest sense of what he is about as an artist. So there you have it. My ranking of Rob Zombie's solo career and couldn't have done better myself <laughs> and cramps ranking of the saw movies uh so we're gonna move on to just uh question pose and we'll throw out some titles and stuff like that we watch a lot of horror movies this time of year or at least we try to but there are a lot of movies that aren't horror themed but are Halloweenish in some way. When whether it's like overtly Halloweenish, like Hocus Pocus or like Scooby Doo or something, there are movies to me that just feel like fall, and I can like imagine watching them around this time of year. What are some of your alternative Halloween favorites or guilty pleasures to keep it open since we're on that theme? Uh, the only one that comes to mind would be one that I showed you two years ago. Well, I don't know if I showed you, but we definitely watched it at the same time. Uh, Donnie Darko. Mostly oh, yeah. because uh, the film takes place within October. There's actually a scene. I mean, all the really the biggest events unfold around Halloween weekend, mm-hmm. um, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I think it's just a phenomenal film. Really, I wouldn't say... It's as complicated as everyone else says it was. Like, I, I definitely got the gist of it the first time I watched it. But it does make you think in some capacity. There's mm-hmm. definitely certain components uh, that go along with the film that you, you question along the way. But I think that there's uh, a great performance delivered by Jake Gyllenhaal, also by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, I think that it has this creepy-esque atmosphere um, throughout, especially in the movie theater scene. Um, also good performance for, you know, the limited time he's on screen by Patrick Swayze. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it's a great film. And then you, uh, hinted at this, you know, it creates the, the feeling of fall. And, um, I think that this, that's what this film does excellently. So I would say Donnie Darko is an alternative Halloween movie. Um, every, every Halloween season. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good pick. I always forget that that movie, uh, takes place around Halloween. And cause, uh, but even then, like you said, the creepy atmosphere, especially with Frank the Rabbit, uh, it's, uh, definitely a good watch this time of year. Uh, mine's going to be vastly weirder in comparison. Uh, Drive Angry, <laughs> the Nicolas Cage classic, that is Drive not Angry. That what I would have expected. Um, here's the thing. For those of you that don't... All right, Drive Angry is serious guilty pleasure territory for me. Uh it's dumb as hell. There is no rectifying it, but I think it's a lot of fucking fun. The story is about a man who escapes from hell to find his daughter before Satan catches him. Uh, that alone has like that sort of heavy metal, like just Halloween like horror theme without it being a horror movie. On top of that, though, there's just a lot of it takes place in like like the backwoods there's a lot of old dead leaves blowing around a lot of old crooked trees it looks it looks like fall it feels like fall i for some reason could picture myself watching it as a halloween movie 
I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> that's my that's one of my alternatives is drive. I, I feel like I took the more safe choice. I got to applaud you with your uh, with your not so common pick. No, um. Well, it's you also picked a good movie. I did not like. I can't like open. Film is subjective, man. That's true, but I can't actively say, "Dude, watch Drive Angry" because it's <laughs> gonna blow your mind. It's like I get it. Um, some other ones. So uh, again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the month. Sleepy Hollow is a movie that is super. Uh, what Halloween is about? Wait, I thought that one took place at Halloween. It does. Okay. Um, but it it. I just like I feel like no one really talks about Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow that much. Um, it isn't again. It's sort of not necessarily a great movie. It the story is all over the map, but I think the performances are really fun. I think the atmosphere is fantastic. The production value is great. I forget who did the production value or uh, the production design. Uh, it's someone incredibly famous. But I can't think of what his name is, so he must not be that famous. I'm going to look him up because he's done a shit pile of stuff, and you're going to know who it is immediately. Um, but, uh, yeah, because the – I think the story traditionally takes place at Halloween or at least – Yeah, in, the original animated cartoon yeah, I was gonna say well has – it's like the night of Halloween. Mm-hmm. It, oh, no, cinematography was – uh, Emmanuel Lubezki. Wow. I would uh, not have known that. Yeah. Uh, who has worked with the Coen brothers, Michael Mann, Terrence Malick. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. The Revenant's most recent one. Alejandro. I'm not going to even try and pronounce his name. Inaritu. Yeah. Alejandro Inaritu. Um, I wish I had another one that I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember. Uh, guilty pleasure horror movies. Let's just talk about those for a while. I guess, uh... I mean, I mean, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> always. Uh, ooh, 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 that's a good one. Um, Paranormal Activity 3 comes to mind. Why not, specifically 3? I'm not the biggest fan of the first two. I think the first one sucks. <laughs> I like the 3, I think it's like... Because it goes back into the 80s, and I like the, the older look to it. Mm-hmm. The, um... You know, the early stages of VHS cameras and, and, and digital uh, cameras. And I don't know, I think the last sequence definitely was, the first time I watched it especially, was was was, uh, was terrifying in some capacity. Um, but I know that that franchise especially gets a bad rep for what it has spawned. Right. Um, VHS from 2011, um, mostly for that last segment, but... I like that first segment too with the, like... Yeah, chupacabra. It's, it's definitely a a bag of 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 mixed yeah mixed short films that and, and a mixed bag of quality. I guess yeah. I don't know. Well, the uh, the one the one with the killer and the camera was an interesting concept, but they horribly they executed. did the most generic uh, uh, execution with it. it. It felt like a yeah, like you said, the concept was there, but then they got to the point where they needed something to take place, and they're like, it felt really rushed. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, we're just gonna have unleash mayhem all of a sudden um yeah vhs is up there uh hills of eyes remake i've said that before um man yeah i think those would be my choices Mm -hmm. at the moment um alternative uh, halloween movie that i I just thought of that i was going to say was beetlejuice because uh it does not take place at halloween but it's all about the dead and ghosts and it's it's a fun, might, as, might as well take might, place yeah Halloween. might as well it's a fun spooky romp uh it's a trip and a half too um you know, one of my biggest uh, guilty pleasure horror movies is the slumber party massacre which it is a low budget slasher from the 80s that was originally intended to be a parody of slasher movies yeah but uh for whatever reason it, they made the decision to play it more like a straightforward horror movie so that but with that original like parody driven script there's a lot of goofy shit in the slumber <laughs> party massacre the killer's weapon is this giant ass power drill it's like literally like everyone's always like 
oh, the slasher movie, uh, the killer is always about, like, male dominance and using phallic symbols against women. This is, like, the most literal interpretation of that um, to the point where the killer says something like, oh, it takes so much love to want to do this to another person. It's like, come on. It's a lot of fun. I showed it uh, to the guys uh, a couple years ago. I don't think you were there. I, don't I think, think I showed was. Mason and Brian. But uh, Slumber Party Massacre is a lot of fun. Otherwise, guilty pleasure horror movies. Um, I mean, fucking like, yeah, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween six, Halloween six. I'll oh, say, I, six, I, Halloween yeah. six. I weirdly enjoy. Isn't Saw six the one you enjoy too? Yeah, that's that's a guilty pleasure there. Um, well. Saw I mean, six movies. I guess they just get right for some. <laughs> for, I don't know if they get it right, but they definitely they create an enjoyable time. Which, like, I don't even know if that's accurate because uh, Halloween Six is generally the one that everyone hates. But for but Halloween Four and Five are so incredibly boring to me. Four and Five, yeah, they just move so slow. Yeah, and like I don't like I don't remember any of the characters from Four and Five. Except for the the little girl Danielle Harris, her character. Um, but six like has Paul Rudd, which immediately is memorable because it's Paul Rudd. Um, but it just yeah, it has a tighter cast of characters. It actually looks like Halloween. The four and five, you know, it like they tried with Halloween one with like sprinkling in like dead leaves and carving pumpkins and stuff. Halloween four and five just looks like they sh- they like didn't give a single shit. Like, yep, it's, it's spring and we're in Pasadena. Sorry. It's not like we could afford it because we're already established as a franchise. Um, Halloween six, I weirdly really like as well as Freddy versus Jason. Oh yeah, Freddy vs. Jason is one hell of a time. Most of the movie is pretty insufferably stupid, but when Freddy and Jason fight, that shit is entertaining as hell and guaranteed a good time with uh, Freddy vs. Jason. I like the Friday the 13th remake from 2009. I do too. I think that's a really solid entry in the it's series. Like, it, it's no better or worse than any of the previous installments. I, would I think say. that's what's so brilliant about it is they literally just made another Friday the Thirteenth movie. Yeah, and like yeah. played it safe. They just went back to the roots. Yeah. It was it was harmless. They just, yeah, they just reskinned it with like like new shit. Whereas you know people say that I don't know something about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake did not have the same effect the Friday the, because it, it essentially does the same thing that the Friday the 13th well, one does but then Nightmare on Elm Street always propped itself on being more of an intricate storyline from what I understand I haven't actually seen the, the Elm Street remake but it takes itself like uber seriously oh, very seriously it? Friday okay. the 13th does not take itself right. seriously it knows exactly what it is Nightmare on Elm Street the remake it goes directions with Freddy's past that I understand their intent because they did want to make it a little bit different than the original. Mm-hmm. Other, you know, otherwise, what's the point? Um, but it just doesn't really work. It's it's the same thing that we that we had an issue with with uh, with the Rob Zombie Halloween movie, where it's like the backstory. There's an intent there. We understand the direction, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it works. Yeah. In the context of Michael Myers as a character. Oh yeah, or or Freddy Krueger. Um, isn't Rooney Mara in the Rooney Mara almost made her quit acting? Fun fact. She hated that. Wow. The, the process was apparently just awful, and uh, she almost quit acting. David Fincher actually uh, tempted her back into acting. Well, thank God. Tempted is a bad word. That sounds creepy. Well, um, she was awesome in the Girl with Dragon Tattoo. You know, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Watch that shit around Halloween. That's like a Gone Girl. Another one. Uh, those are like, Zodiac. 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 Yeah. Those are like all those movies are like deeply. Uh, disturbing. Sussevenin, so you know. Sussevenin. So One of these days, I need to watch that movie. Um, I had another guilty pleasure. Oh, Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps is a lot of fun. It's about like these alien parasites that leech onto people and turn them into zombies. It's it's so goofy. Uh, Mid eighties. Um, another good one is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That movie's a lot of fun. I keep hearing they're going to remake that. Do not remake Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That movie needs to only exist in the 80s. That's what makes it so fucking good. Um, Ghostbusters. That, that's another fun one to watch this time of year. 
of course, I'm talking about the 2016 classic Ghostbusters. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're going to finish this off uh, with one more little bit of a game. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we pitched horror movies based off of a noun. Uh, we're going to keep it. We're going to do it a little bit broader now. I'm not going to give you a noun, Graham. I'm just going to ask you a question because... Horror franchises, they're still there, but they're not the juggernauts that they were. We don't have a long-running, with except for Saw and Paranormal Activity, but they still haven't quite gotten to the level of Halloween, Friday the 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street. Pitch to me a horror movie franchise. Something that has a foundation that you can make sequels off of. All right. Take as much time as you need. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't... Uh, ooh, that's a... Very difficult question. Um, I'm going to use an, an example that I've used before that I think I said on the other pitch that we did, which is the guy that uses your biggest fears to kill you. Mm-hmm. And basically that's it. <laughs> that's the franchise <laughs> yeah. right there. I mean, and it, it basically follow it's it takes uh, a lot of the same direction that Final Destination does where it's always like a different group of people that are being attacked by this one guy. Mm-hmm. Really what all of these horror franchises do is just different groups being attacked mm-hmm. by the same um killer. But uh yeah, I've always been like interested in people like it, it kind of has the same concept as Saw but in a little bit different bit of a different fashion where mm-hmm. you know, we see people that struggle with you know certain you know fears and phobias and bringing those to light um, in the most horrifying way possible. Mm-hmm. It'd be very dark. It'd be very gruesome. Probably wouldn't be a film that many people would want to see. Uh, well, I, I should say that it's more like a midnight movie right, in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, yeah, it's my very basic franchise that I came up with on the spot. There you How go. about you, Matt? What do you got? Um, this is something I've been talking about with Brian a lot, and I think I talked to you about it too. I would do a Die Hard style series, uh, only it's like horror themed. And by Die Hard style, I just mean like it's one guy who happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, like Bruce Willis is John McClane. Actually, I thought about this one night. It'd be at least four movies uh, of him just getting shit on, like his entire existence but then he's just the right man to stand up and face it uh the first movie would uh because the thing is like if you want to be make it like die hard it has to be in some kind of confined location or some kind of place where there's claustrophobia that's why some of the later entries don't work as well <laughs> good day to die hard um but like the first movie would take place in a town that deals with creatures that only come out when it rains. The second movie would deal with vampire vampiric creatures in a in a uh, Halloween party. The inherent flaw with this uh, franchise would be it's literally borrowing from other horror movies. Like the first one's like, like uh, Alien. Join the club. <laughs> yeah, the first one would be like Alien. The second one would be like From Dusk Till Dawn. The third one would be, like, the gray, I guess, because the third one, he'd be fight in Alaska fighting wolf creatures. And then the fourth one, he's fighting ancient cultists who are hell-bent on world annihilation. And that'd be, it'd be called... Each movie would be called The Wrong Place. And then the last one would be The Final... Wrong, or the last wrong place <laughs> and then it won't be the last it'll be the last wrong place returns or I don't fucking know but yeah that'd be my horror movie franchise alrighty so with that my tender lumplings we're calling it a night we wish you a very happy Halloween be safe have lots of candy watch lots of horror movies do what you gotta do we'll be back at you with a guest appearance uh, next no uh, next episode in November. Uh, I'm Matt Schaefer. As always, thank you so much for listening all throughout October. And this is Graham Zima. Yes. Next time it'll be a Thanksgiving. Theme. It'll be a Thanksgiving themed. <laughs> we'll just talk about Eli Roth's Thanksgiving trailer the entire time. <laughs> but 
Yes, we return now to our coffins, my darlings, uh, and we will awake once the sun has dipped below the horizon to wreak havoc on the streets. Have a happy Halloween. Let Halloween rain. Stay groovy. Happy Halloween. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.